0: Do you ever hear that passage and not think about the special easian album, the and Moses, James Madison, which ABC has shown every Saturday night before Easter since 1968? So if you're of a certain age, and I think we are, uh, that's just kind of part of your Easter tradition, you know? Little Jeff Lomond, home from Easter Mass, or Holy Saturday Night Mass, we used to call it, looking and just kind of gripping, hoping, hoping it was going to like happen. They were going to make it through the, the Red Sea okay. I, I kind of knew the story, but I was still hoping. I wasn't totally sure. And, uh, and then when it finally does it, you know, the, 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 the movie captures the words of Scripture so well. Not one of them was left alive. And little nine-year-old Jeff, something between like, whew, <laughs> they got it, they got it, in the end. Uh, so I am uh, now, that, now longer that uh, nine-year-old Jeff Bowman, but I'm here, uh, well, many multiples of nine, well over, and uh, have been worshiping with you for a couple months. Uh, most people in Knoxville know me oh, are you a friend of Reagan Shriver? <laughs> um, in fact, that's usually how they, they say, oh, well, uh, are you Reagan's friend or Father Reagan's friend? And I say, sort of. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Uh, uh, so anyway, I've been with you all for several several months, and it's just been such an honor to to pray with you, and such an honor uh, and so humbling to be asked to say a few words with you. So thanks to Billy and Caroline and anybody for just giving me a chance to say a few words. I'm just deeply honored to share this sort of sacred space with you tonight, and from the pews on most Sundays. Anyway, there, there I was, about nine or eight, so relieved and so excited that the good guys won. And I wonder now, though, uh, how old were you, if you ever have, how old were you the first time you said, huh, what about all those folks who died? What about their wives? What about their kids i mean i guess if, i mean if you take moses perspective which we kind of do in this one usually anyway they were doing bad things and 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 they were following a bad leader and all oh, that's true uh but did, did, the, did the divine was still should have the divine done that to them and if they were doing bad things which i guess they were Did their wives deserve to be husbandless? Did their kids deserve to be orphans? I started asking that question a little bit in high school, which right there explains why I had so few friends in high school. (laughs) But still, there I was. Why is it just so easy for us to forget just how much we have in common with those folks with, with whom we see the world differently? Why is it just so tempting, so almost like falling off a log, to to look at people with whom we disagree and who have a different perspective and see them as less right, less noble? If we're not careful, maybe even a little less human than us. Have you ever noticed this, this great arc to Revelation the Scriptures kind of show us? There's this, uh, first there's this, oh, gosh, there's a God, and that God loves us. That God has chosen us, and if we're good, that God will protect us from our enemies. Oh, and then there's this, like, that same God wants us to to treat each other well. And then the prophets tell us that not only do do we have to treat each other well, we've got to treat foreigners well. Leviticus says, I loved you when you were aliens and strangers, so you should treat aliens and strangers well. I am the Lord your God. Ugh. But sure enough, there it was. And then into that, into this sort of arc of revelation from God has chosen you and will protect you, but you got to treat people pretty well, even some folks you don't know or like, In steps Jesus, who takes this message way too far, right? The, we always think, oh, poor Jesus died at 33. Well, heck, it's a miracle he lived to be 33, out there eating with Samaritans and talking to women and saying their faith experience mattered. And, and then getting to talk, you know, eating with drunkards and gluttons and, and uh, saying sinners had something to do with God. It's a miracle he lived as long as he did. And then there's this sort of arc of revelation where, where we started at, oh, if we're just good, God will, God will smite our enemies to Jesus, messing that all up by saying you should love your enemies. And it just gets weirder from there, right? All of a sudden there's, there's uh no Syrophoenician woman who's not worthy of healing. There's no Ethiopian that Philip isn't supposed to baptize. There's no Gentile that Peter can't see worthy of the Spirit. There's no nook nor cranny of creation to which Paul is not called to preach the good news. Somehow we've moved from I will prote- God will protect me from my enemy to... God's sun shines the same on the good and bad alike. God's rain rains on the just and unjust, just the same. I wonder where you are just right, right now in that arc of Revelation. If you're like me, unfortunately, you tend to be a little closer to that beginning arc, me and Moses, right? Just, God, if you just smite my enemies, everything would be fine. You know, I don't really care if something goes wrong, but I just want this, this here to go right. And if somebody else's kids go hungry, I don't have a lot of energy for that, maybe. And maybe if somebody else's school is not appropriate, I can't have a lot of energy for that. And I really don't care who wins that football game, just so it's not the Egyptians or Florida or something like that. And I just, just can be over here. And then on some days anyway, some moments, maybe more than days, I can remember that in this arc of revelation, Jesus has reminded me that it's not so much that I have an enemy, that I, but that I have an illusion of separation to which I am committed. <laughs> I have an illusion of division that I am determined to hold on to for lots of reasons that aren't necessarily even my fault, but that Jesus has revealed to us It's just that, an illusion that we hold on to so that we can be right, so that I can be right, so that my anger can be justified, so that I can claim God as as both just and not coincidentally on my side. Where am I in that? Where are you in that arc of revelation some days? Maybe even more interesting, who are those folks who I or you are all too happy to label as, again, Egyptians, Florida Gators, call them what you will, but so easy (laughs) for us to label them as less wrong, not smart, not sensitive. What political choices do they make or what church perspective do they take that makes it so easy for you or me to label them as just not quite us? Because that's the end point of Revelation I want to suggest tonight. Not that God will defend us from our enemies, but that we don't have any enemies. There is no us and other. There is only us. There's only unity challenged i think by these scriptures not when we see someone who with whom we disagree not when we see someone who we think is dead wrong and unholy or unjust or unright is to ask god to take care of that for us but to look inside of ourselves and ask why is, this, why is it that I am committed to this illusion of separation from them? Why am I so committed to believing that I am different from them in any meaningful way when Jesus tells us time and time again that we're actually all kind of in this together? Uh, funny thing, uh, just as an end thought here, the, uh, to the extent the, the Exodus story is historical, scholars think or suppose it happened somewhere between 15 and 14 centuries before the common era. You know, who knows exactly, but something in there. There's this really interesting thing, though, from a pharaoh from the 13th century, so just hundred years or so later, uh, Egyptian pharaoh uh, Mernephtha. Uh, I can't explain the name, but Merneptah, and, and he uh, wrote he, uh, on this steel, it's called the Steel of Mernephtha, that, about 1291, it says, BCE. He says of all nine of the Egyptians' enemies, he counts them all off. He says, he've, you know, the Libyans, they're gone. The Canaan's, they're gone. And he even mentions Israel. He says, he says the seed of Israel is no more, says the pharaoh brags the pharaoh Merneptah in 1291 BCE. It's shockingly similar, isn't it? to not one of them survived that Moses tells us about. Maybe that's the lesson of the crossing of the Red Sea in the end. Not that God will save us from our enemies, but that we're just so much like them. Which I suppose is why Jesus invites us to love them. Because they, like us, are so in need of that love, so deserving of that grace, or like us on some days, so undeserving of it. Perhaps that's why Jesus invites us to love them, not just our brothers and sisters, but that our love might shine equally on the good and the bad alike. Those who are just as deserving and just as undeserving of grace as are we.